For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild responds to newly passed state legislation. Join local students as they connect with senior citizens and share their life stories. Tour an exhibition showcasing the creativity and sincerity of artists with developmental disabilities. And Dimelo asks you to consider the changes you've witnessed in your own neighborhood. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Minimum wage limits, gun carry restrictions, and sanctuary cities. These are just some of the topics included in new legislation from Arizona lawmakers that affects how cities like Tucson can govern themselves. Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild came to the AZPM studio to talk with reporter Steve Jess about his reaction to these and other preemption bills. Your job must be getting a little bit challenging with what's going on in the state legislature up in Phoenix. Uh, We've had just a flurry of bills to preempt powers of cities and counties. Just at the start of the legislature, we heard from Senate President Andy Biggs why they're cutting off things like uh, the ability of cities to set their own minimum wage or um, prohibit the sale of plastic grocery bags. Let's listen to what Senate President Biggs said for a moment. We have local jurisdictions who are subdivisions of the state and they are violating the law. You can either try to find a carrot and the carrot is you get to keep your full state shared revenue. The stick would be you don't get to keep your full state shared revenue. You have to comply with state law. What do you think about the state legislature giving you a the stick of losing your state shared revenue if you pass a law that the legislature doesn't like? Well, I'm surprised because uh, I know Mr. Biggs is an experienced legislator and uh, cities, at least uh, 14 cities, are not subdivisions of the state. They're charter cities, and there's actually constitutional protection for those. Mr. Biggs is wrong in his analysis. But the fact of the matter is there's a current system which has been effective for 100 years in this state and is effective across the United States. If a city were to pass a law that is in direct contradiction with a state law, The state can go to court. What was passed by the legislature and signed by the governor said that if one legislator and the attorney general agree, the attorney general can file a lawsuit in the Supreme Court, the city will within 30 days lose its state shared revenue. In Tucson's case, that's $134 million. That's 27% of our revenue. That's your police department, that's your fire department, that's your roads, that's your parks, that's your transit system. And finally, there's going to be the charter cities issue. It may be fine in some cases for the state to act, but it's not fine for a state to act in all cases because cities do have their own constitutional powers. How do you think we got here? Is this a reflection of the poisoned political atmosphere we're seeing just around the country, especially in in Washington with the Congress? I think so. We counted this morning 30 bills that the League of Cities in Town is in active opposition to that is either taking the city's revenue, county's revenue, or taking away their ability to make laws. The fact of the matter is, is across the country and the world, places that are being successful economically are being driven by cities. 
the innovation in the world is going on in cities. In the United States, it's going on in cities. Uh, our legislature's on the wrong path. Now, Big says that some of the things that cities are doing are bad for business, bad for entrepreneurship, such as raising the minimum wage above the state or federal minimum. How do you answer that? First of all, and this has been very interesting, no city even put a proposal on the table to raise the minimum wage. Not one city. Several cities said, let's have a community discussion. And now this law has been passed where a city cannot hold a community discussion without being subject to a punitive action. Is there anything you can do about it as a mayor or, for that matter, as a politician? Well, obviously, as elected officials, we have to get out there. We have to get the word out about what's happening and, and why we don't think it's good that it happened. Ultimately, voters vote. Let me ask you one more question just to shift gears here. City departments have identified ways that they say they can save enough money to balance the city budget. Can you really do that without getting a, a really bad reaction from the taxpayer? I think people in our city now understand uh, that because of things like what we've been talking about, that we're being forced into these reductions in service. There will be a few areas where we may choose not to cut back. Uh, but if we do, we're going to have to find corresponding revenue. But the really good thing about this new manager, Mike Ortega, is he has spent a lot of time breaking down the silos between the departments and bringing everybody together and saying, how do we work as a team? So in a lot of the cases of the reductions, you will not be able to tell a difference because we're going to do service different. I mean, obviously, the big one everybody's talking about is the police department. What we're looking at is actually going to put more police officers on the street. And so I think you're going to see a better city. But in the long run, if we're going to make this city what its potential is, we're going to have to find more revenue. And as this legislature continues to act like it does, we're going to have to find it from our own voters and our own citizens. Mayor Rothschild, thank you for coming in today. Thank you for uh, having me and uh, giving another point of view. You can find out more about the preemption bills passed by the Arizona legislature online at news.arizona.edu. A group of students at Vail Academy have been learning to tell a specific kind of story. My name is Marvin Fortman. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm 85. That's 12-year-old Ariana King. She met Marvin Fortman through a storytelling club at Vail Academy called Through Our Eyes. Mariana Dale spent time with the young journalists to find out what they learned from interviewing the residents of a Tucson senior living community. It's a unique project that began with inspiration from their teacher. Ashley Curtis has taught for almost a decade. It's a six-day-a-week job, and that's just if you count the time she spends inside her fifth-grade classroom. Life outside has a way of finding its way into her lessons. About four years ago, my grandma was sick with cancer, and so what helped me get through that process was I started photographing the whole process, and that really helped me to deal with her cancer and then her lot, my uh, losing her. It also gave me an opportunity to honor her and her journey um, and the choices that she made. The same year her grandmother died, so did one of her students' mothers, also from cancer. The two connected through photography. It was a way to talk about their loss without naming it outright. The photos gave shape to feelings they couldn't quite describe in words. It was powerful, an experience she wanted other students to have. 
my original plan was to bring more arts into writing, literacy through photography. The Photography Club evolved into a short course in documentary and creative writing. They focused on finding those in the community that are misunderstood, like pit bulls or elderly people, and telling their stories. This year, a dozen students honed their skills for months before they were paired with elders at a Tucson senior living community. Uh, this place is Villa Hermosa, and I'm here to interview Helen. That's Madison Campanelli, and there's a few things you should know about her. She's 10, loves purple, collecting stuffed animals. And I really like to say I like monkeys. She aspires to be a writer. Right now, most of her stories are science fiction and fantasy. It's something she can do on her own without really having to talk to anyone. I have a hard time talking to people who are older than me because I think they might think low of me. And why do you think they might think lower of you? Because I'm younger and I don't know as much, so they might think, oh, when I was that age, I knew a lot more than she did. Where do you want to go? I don't really know anywhere. The woman Madison is here to interview is 95-year-old Helen Schwartz, and she does not appear to be nervous. In fact, she seems excited to have her picture taken, if she can put on some lipstick first. So I don't all disappear in the white snow, the whiteness outside. After she does, Helen zips outside on an electric scooter. There you go. Madison learned in her last visit that Helen once wrote a book. So to break the ice, she brought her latest work for review. Once upon a time, there was a teen girl who was living a life that you could only dream of. However, this wasn't the kind of dream you were probably thinking of. It was a nightmare. One of the worst. Madison unspools a fantastical world of goblins, ghouls, and a magical shadow. She ends it mysteriously. To be continued. Well, I would love to have a to be continued. I'd love to have a copy of it. We'll make a copy before you leave, okay? Pretty impressive. Pretty amazing. Right. Inside Via Hermosa, I find 12-year-old Ariana King and 85-year-old Marvin Fortman. I am currently talking to Mr. Fortman about his life and about what he's done. By the way, most people call me Professor Fortman. You could call me Professor Fortman, Dr. Fortman, Marvin Fortman, or Mr. Fortman. I'll answer to any of those. The formal titles, they're the last vestiges of his time in academia at the University of Arizona. So can you tell me a little bit more about your daughters? My daughters? Yes. Okay. I have to tell you, all three of my children... Ariana and Marvin have a lot more in common than she would have thought. She's going to skip eighth grade next year and hopes to graduate by the time she's 15 or 16 and catapult into college. And she's very impressed by Marvin's scholarship. It's been really good to be able to listen to him because I've learned what his life was about and I've learned like all the things that he's gone through and yeah, it just it's really cool to listen to someone's story besides mine and my family's. Marvin holds back few details. It's not always been easy or something. His mother died when he was three years old. He fought in the Korean War. His son is an entertainment lawyer. And his philosophy on money is that it should be shared with family and charity. Ariana listens patiently and photographs him as he talks. It makes me feel good because, you know, when you're older, no one really wants it. <laughs> they want you to listen to their story. You know? And when you meet someone, whether it's a project like this, 
where they have to listen to you, you know. That really is a catharsis, you know, to have someone that will, uh, you know, listen to you uh, as you ramble on. And then it's time for the students to leave. Well, we'll see you on the 23rd. In a few hours, hundreds of years of life have been shared between the students and their elders. And the evidence of that is in the dozens of pictures and pages of notes the students come back with. Miss Curtis knows it's no small task to fit an entire lifetime into a few minutes. And so their job was to take this ordinary person and find the ways in which they are extraordinary. For students like Madison, they also had to overcome their own misgivings before they could be open to hear someone else's story. I explained to her that, you know, it's okay that you're fearful. Your, your sole purpose here is to honor Helen's story. That's all you have to do is honor her story. I asked Madison to show me her final project. This is the story of Helen Scratches, who has eyes so blue that you can imagine snow melting into a blue sea. In her slideshow, Madison captures a still limber Helen showing off her half splits. She also exercises in the gym and paints in the art room. This is a picture she did resembling how little we know about the universe and how much we'll learn. When I was editing it, I said um, that no one's story should be left to go into oblivion. And I think that because really everyone has some flaw that someone would think is cool. Has your idea about older people changed from doing this project? A little bit. I mean, I'm still not very comfortable around them, but it's changed a a bit. Well, now I realize that we're all kind of the same and that no one or older people aren't that different from younger people. It's just um, they've lived longer and they have wrinkles. And to be honest, Madison is still a little nervous for Helen to see her story. She's afraid she might have left out a part of it that's important. Things don't always happen the way most people want them to. Madison and I talk about some things that aren't really easy for her. I don't like my braces. I'm not a very big fan of my closet, but or my like what I wear most of the time, but my friends say I look pretty, so... What she learns from Helen is that even if life isn't easy, it can go on and on until you're 95 or older. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mariana Dale. The Through Our Eyes Club invites the community to see the results of their project, Power to Inspire, Honoring the Stories of Our Elders, at the Loft Cinema on Saturday, April 2nd at 10 a.m. Stay tuned for more Arizona Spotlight and another project called Through Our Eyes right after this break.
Welcome back to the show. From a family visiting the museum, a moving and wonderful experience to see the great work and hearts that went into this amazing art. The love of these artists can be felt in their work. That's a comment from the guest book at the University of Arizona Museum of Art concerning the current exhibition, Artworks, Through Our Eyes. It features 25 artists from the Artworks program, an all-day studio for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These artists were invited to choose professional pieces from the U of A Museum's permanent collection that they found inspiring to use as a starting point for their own creations, which include paintings, sculpture, and fiber art. Yumi Shirai is the director of Artworks. She came to the group with years of experience in the field from her native Japan. Artworks is a community that we create art together. You know, folks with disabilities, once they're out of the school system, they either go to the work program with the vocational support, they may be able to work in the community, or they come to a day program. Those would be the two options. Otherwise, they may need to stay home. But there is a gray area that being an artist can be a profession. As a participant in the family that you built at Artworks, can you tell us something about what makes that community special? The sincereness and honesty. And also, they don't doubt their ability. They do all have abilities. And we all respect each individual's participation and their strength and embrace their strength and their uniqueness to create the community. Artist Jack McHugh is 32 years old. He dressed as a cowboy for the interview with a hat, boots, and chaps. It's Jack's way of having fun and celebrating his Arizona roots. His mobile-like sculpture is a flying version of his grandparents' house in Douglas, made of brightly colored fabric with a rainbow arch and cut out drawings of animals like a dog and a chicken. People who are listening on the radio aren't going to be able to see your piece. So tell us what we're standing in front of. It's a flying house. I always wanted a flying house. I still do. <laughs> sure. Just think about how much gas we will not use. Where would we park them all? You'll just park them in the sky. Oh, okay. So like a helicopter. Yeah. I really like the purple and the gold and all that. I think that's really neat. Was this stuff they had at Artworks for yeah. you to use? And it was at Artworks, and I keep poking myself any time I, like, sew it up. Yeah. Did you use a thimble, Jack? No. <laughs> you I should didn't. use a thimble. <laughs> I tried, yeah. but it fell off of my thumb. Yeah. And I, like, I gave up on the thimble. Okay. What does artworks mean to you, Jack? It's my second house. It's a big family to me. And I love going there. If I had a choice, I would live there. Artist Carol Lynch is 45 years old. She created a watercolor in many shades of green called My Father's Flowers. It was inspired by Carol's appreciation of Georgia O'Keeffe. My name is Kara L. Lynch. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I've been here since I was 12. Recently I took um, this green flower. It means I'm a half Irish. Half Irish. Because my father was. Okay, I got it. So that's why you chose that color. Yes. 
because there's a small picture of the Georgia O'Keeffe that inspired you, and it's red and yellow, and I ask yes. you why you chose green. How do you feel when you're painting? Does it make you feel good to put color onto canvas? I love to paint. I just go on and on. I never stop. I keep on going. I also talked with Chelsea Farrar, the University of Arizona Museum of Arts Assistant Curator of Education, who helps create exhibitions representing the diversity of voices in our community. I asked Farrar what someone might say if they saw the artwork show without knowledge of the story behind it. I think at first they would assume that these are just works from our collection because they're absolutely beautiful, striking compositions using typical materials that any artist would use in their studio. Um, only after reading the um, wall label and the didactics would they understand a little bit more about the community um, and the artists that participated in this exhibition. This exhibition shows the continuous lineage of artwork, that artists are constantly being inspired by other artists, um, and these are just artists from another community. Whether it's their color choice, their composition, their subject matter, they're reacting to it in some kind of personal way and then putting their own touch to it, which is what art really is about. I then asked Jack McHugh to choose another work in the show to tell me about. He chose a vibrant, richly textured piece called Puzzle Skunk, created by one of his friends at Artworks. His name is Paul McLaughlin. He worked with fabric and he put it together. And he's like one of my best guy friends because he's always there for me. Well, one thing I'll say from looking at his piece is it's fun. It's really funny. He's got polka dots, and he's got checkerboards, and he's got stripes, and he's got clouds, and there's a flower, and it's, it's full of life. Do you think this says something about who Paul is? Yeah, it does. He's kind of like a big dad of all the works. Yumi, would you like to add anything to this uh, talking about Paul McLaughlin's piece? Sure. Um, he's inspired a professional art piece that was in the UAMA. was by Brian David Griffith. And that was very simple black and white uh, abstract picture. And what he saw in it was eye, a shining eye. That's how he started out of making a skunk. This is the puzzled skunk. You know, Jack talked about his personality and um, his goofiness and uh, brightness in this picture. So from the original inspirational uh, professional piece, we don't see those colors. So that's our uh, artist's fantastic part of creativity and uh, comprehension. I think it's very exciting. It is. Carol, would you like to show me a piece? We're looking at um, Karen Downhang's painting. And who is Karen? Karen Downhang's a friend of mine. She likes art, and also she um, likes fish. Well, what we have here is a blue and gray and aqua and turquoise canvas, and I can see a fish, and I can see water, and it's very well done. It's very, very skillful. She likes the color of blue, and she chose this piece because of her mother. Her mother? Yeah. Why did you pick this piece to show me? Because she's my best friend. Well, you tell her that I think her piece is beautiful, and she did a wonderful job blending the colors. Very, it seems like she's very patient and skillful. Yes, she is. So, Yumi, you add a few words to us now about Karen's piece. Karen is one of the examples that they really expanded their art skills and the variety of 
colors and things that they do in their art. You guys don't mess around, do you? No. You're serious. When you get into something, it's got to be real or you're not interested. Artworks is an outreach program housed in the Sonoran University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities at the University of Arizona, part of the Department of Family and Community Medicine. The exhibition, Through Our Eyes, is open through May 8th at the University of Arizona Museum of Art. In Tucson, change happens every day, sometimes too gradual to notice, other times it seems so drastic it demands a reaction. Next, a story about how a recent change in a Southside neighborhood had a personal impact on a man who lives there. Each corner of Tucson has a different flavor, a different history. This week on Dimelo, we asked Gabriel Otero to tell us about his corner of Tucson. He takes us to his favorite spot to take his daily 15-minute break from the radio station where he works. As we walk into the Casino of the Sun in New Pasqua Village, he greets the security guard, the floor manager, and his cousin. He knows everyone, and everyone knows him. We settle into the corner booth at the back of the Sunflower Cafe, right by the service station, but where you can still observe much of the casino floor. And I'll, I'll stand at the menu right there, look at all the food, and then I won't order nothing, and it annoys the people so much. <laughs> Because I always think I want something to eat here and there. I look at everything, I'm like, eh, nothing sounds appealing. And then I just walk away. Every once in a while, I'll get some pozole. They serve that on Wednesdays. Um, but no, I like to sit right here in this little spot, the corner spot. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere else, you could put your feet up and relax. And then it's kind of like a quiet little corner, too. Like, And like everyone that works here, they know, oh, Gabriel's on his break. Just let him be. If I talk to you, I talk to you. If I don't, I don't. Or other way around. It's, uh, it's funny because you see a lot of the same people here every day. Like, it's just cool to see, like, the elders having a good time, you know. They come here, this is where they spend their money, and I think that's cute that they, they all get together here and they meet up here. It's like the little hub for the elders, you know. It's not too far off the reservation. They all can get, trans they get transported here. They have a van that takes them here. My favorite spot in my neighborhood that I just moved back into got knocked down, but it was called the Rock House. It was just an old house on the base of the mountain made out of lava rock. It was abandoned, and we just would go there, hang out. You get a good view of uh, the city there. And yeah, they recently knocked it down to uh, build another house. Like gang members from my neighborhood, would, they would tag there and stuff. and. My brother's taggings were there. It was just cool to like go there. My cousin that you just saw, his taggings was there. And then like it was just such a long time ago. So like going there now and seeing their graffiti there from like the early 90s, mid 90s, just like would trip me out. And then even my brother, he passed away in 96 and his tagging was still there. So I just like to go there and think of everyone from my neighborhood. And uh, I don't know, send a little prayer to all of them. That was Gabriel Otero. He's the program coordinator at KPYT, the voice of the Pascuayaki tribe. Tell us about your corner of Tucson. What's changed in your neighborhood in the last decade, the last five years, or just even since yesterday? Go to dimelostories.org to tell us. Music in this story is provided by the band Sixa. For Dimelo, I'm Sofia Palisakiach. Dimelo is part of a national initiative called Finding America, 
presented in collaboration with AIR, the Association for Independence in Radio, supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.